So as as I introduce Brenda, right now she's. I, I said last night that I've known Denise for twenty nine precious years. So so proud of her. Like I said, some of you are new to me, and I'm trying to learn your names. So if I can see them, I have a better chance at it. And then Brenda, she's not a new friend. She's not a way from long ago friend. She's an in-between friend. I'm still learning to get to know her and everything. Every time I'm with her, I learn something new, and I like her more. She is a mom. She is a grandma. I can't believe you're a grandma. I look like a grandma. She looks like um, not even a mom to me. She looks still like a kid herself. And uh, she's a pastor's wife. Some of you heard her and Ted share at Thrive a while back. Ted actually came to our church and gave an amazing message. Nine months ago, uh, I discovered my notes yesterday and read them all again. And uh, I, I got, again, ministered too deeply. So with that thought, would you open your program to the page that says, Rooted by faith. We're back to the basics. We're going to the deep, important places of our, uh, of our wonderful faith in Christ. And it says that Brenda Leavenworth is our speaker this morning. And so I'd like to just right now introduce Brenda. She is precious. You will love her so much as she shares. Who's not completely convinced that Debbie's a morning person? (laughs) Uh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to be sharing with you guys. I wanted to give you just a really quick update. Some of you have been asking. It's been a little bit of a rough week in the Leavenworth house. I I have three children. They are all grown. Um, They are all married, and they all have kids. I have six grandchildren, um, and I have number seven and number eight on the way. And so last week, my my oldest daughter, she is 29, she's on number four. And this is a girl who just, she can just, I mean, I'm I'm surprised she didn't drop one on the freeway, I'll just say that. (laughs) But this, she's been having trouble with her gallbladder this pregnancy. She's been in the hospital about five times in the course of her pregnancy. Well, last week, she went into just the attack of all attacks. She had pain for about 24 hours straight, and pain medicine, she said, would take the edge off. They needed to do surgery. They've done an MRI. They they did an amnio, which they couldn't read. They were going to see if the baby, she was 35-plus weeks when she went into the hospital. They were going to see if the baby was developed enough because they needed to deliver the baby, and she needs to have surgery right after. And so... They couldn't read the amnio, which she blames on me because I had to retrieve this weekend. She's like, Mom, it's your fault because now they've postponed it till Tuesday. So praise the Lord for that. But would you pray for her? She's going to be induced 37 weeks on Tuesday. She's actually going to have surgery on Thursday or Friday to get her gallbladder out. So she's been in a lot of pain. I covered your prayers for her. But um, Megan, Megan is her name. And Megan... I have to tell you a quick little cute story. My oldest granddaughter's name is Willow, and she is five, just adorable. Well, she was, I was trying to tell her, because she's my little mini-me. She would live with me if she could. So I was trying to tell her that I want to take her little brother, Jude, for a time with me just by himself. Like, he's just going to get his time. Um, He's three. So I'm telling her this on the phone, and I hear Megan just cracking up. I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, oh, my goodness. She's, she's drama. She just marched down the hallway with her little arms crossed. She goes, well, I guess Nani's not my BFF anymore. <laughs> so she, she was really upset that I was not taking her. She kept saying, well, you're going to take me and Jude. And I'm like, no, I'm going to take Jude alone. It's his turn. Jude was not having that at all. But with that, we have uh, three sessions coming up, and they're all going to kind of build on each other. And we are going to say, I love how you said start at the basics, because that's exactly what we're going to do. So let's pray, and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we just thank you so, so much. And Lord, I just want to uh, just invite you to this place. You've been so 
uh, heavily present in our midst, and we thank you for that. I pray, Lord, now that you would just come in and that you would just have your way in our hearts, Lord. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to listen to what your spirit has to say. Lord, you are the one that delivers the goods. You want to speak to us. You want to give us what you have through your word. Lord, your servants are here. Your daughters are here. We're listening. Speak to us now, we pray, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Billy Graham was at a luncheon, and he was telling the story of Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was on a train, and the ticket master came to get his ticket, and he, he was starting to look in his pocket. His ticket wasn't there, and he's checking his pants, and his ticket's not there. And the ticket master says, oh, Dr. Einstein, it, it's okay. We know who you are. It's all right. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought your ticket. You're fine. So he went down a few aisles, and he's collecting tickets, and he looks back, and all of a sudden he realizes Albert Einstein is on his hands and knees looking for his ticket, and he's like, what is he doing? So he goes up to him again, Dr. Einstein, like, we know who you are. You don't have to do that. We, we've, we're assured that you've bought a ticket. It's okay. And Albert Einstein stood up and he said, young man, I know who I am. I just don't know where I'm going. <laughs> and Billy Graham at this luncheon said, today I'm wearing this new suit and I'm going to be wearing this suit twice in my life. Do you know what the other time is? And he said, it's going to be at my funeral. But when you come to my funeral and you hear Billy Graham is gone, I don't want you to think about this suit. I want you to think, I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. Isn't that amazing? Well, Hebrews 11, chapter uh, verse 1 says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And that's what we're talking about this morning, that we would be rooted by faith. Now, these are tiny little seeds. And within these tiny little seeds, this seed has everything that it needs within it to be what it's intended to be. In this little seed, there's a root system, there's a stem, and there's a food source. So that when it's time, this little seed can sprout. Now, this little seed has a protective coating on it, which is called the seed coat. Now, we're talking about being rooted this weekend, and this seed isn't a root, is it? But it's going to be a root. It's the start of a root. And we need to start our roots with faith. They're not roots yet. The starting point is faith. Now, Some of you um, might know this, but our youngest son, we have three, 29, 27, both girls, and then a 25-year-old son. And when he was um, younger, he was a child actor. Probably from the time he was four till about the time he was 16 or 17. He did it professionally for probably 10, 11 years. Now, when you get a script, there's something at the beginning of every scene. It's called an establishing shot. And an establishing shot is one that you need to know where the scene is going. So when, if it, let's say you're doing a scene in the interior of New York, well, you need to know you're in New York, right? So you'll see some of the sites, just kind of a backup view, an establishing view, a starting point. That's kind of what we're doing here. What is faith? This is our establishing shot. It's going to show us where the starting point is. Hebrews 11.1, 1, again, in the NLT version says, faith is the confidence that we hope for will actually happen. What we hope for that will actually happen. It gives us assurance that things um, about things we cannot see. That word substance in that verse, it literally means a settling or a foundation. That's foundational. Our faith is foundational, that which actually exists. It's a trust, an assurance. A faith is an assurance that what we hope for will happen, and our faith is in Jesus Christ. It has a potential. Now, this little seed, this, apart from planting this in a favorable environment, what can it do? Nothing. It's just a little seed. It will always be a little seed until we put it in the favorable environment that it can then sprout, right? It has the potential to be something, but it needs something to happen for it to be taken from death to life. And that 
we too, just as, as believers, we lay dormant just like that seed. We are created in the image of God, but we lay dormant. We're spiritually dead in and of ourselves. We must activate our faith in order to live eternally for salvation. And then we have to activate our faith, right, every day. We have to walk by faith. Roman 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that um, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So a good starting place, a good starting point for us is to really know and remember who we are apart from Christ. Isn't it always good for us to remember who we are apart from Christ? Well, recently, and I hope you guys don't mind if we just get real today. Are you okay with that? All right. So recently, um, I became estranged. It's funny you were talking about estranged, you know, relationships. I became estranged with my older brother. There's four in our family. And it was over a situation where he had wrong information. There was a lot going on in our family, that uh, my extended family, that was stressful. He had the wrong information. But you know when you just happen to be the one closest to the person when they're really angry? Well, that was me, and I took the brunt of it. And when I tell you that not even as a 50-year-old woman should a man have talked to me like that, but let alone like I'm his baby sister... And we've never had a problem like that in our whole lives until this situation happened. You guys know. You have family members. You have broken relationships. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's heart-wrenching. And there was nothing that I could really do about it. I, I couldn't do anything about it. But he hates our Christianity. He thinks that we're crazy. He thinks we need help. He thinks we need to see psychiatrists. Do you know what I'm saying? You guys have relatives that are like this. He thinks our friends are fake because he's never seen joy before. He's never experienced it. He's never experienced the kindness of the God we serve. And so when he sees it, he thinks it's ridiculous. And so we are not even, we're not even in a speaking relationship. He literally told me, like, forget that I exist. Like, and that is heart-wrenching to me. And then God spoke to me. And he said, Brenda, you were just like that before we met. That broke my heart because you know what? We grew up in the same family, the same environment. I did handle situations just like he did. I was the person that he was. But it was because I have faith in Christ that God has transformed me, that he has made me into a new creation. You see, my brother, he doesn't know who he is. And he doesn't know where he's going. But I have that hope. Robert Murray McShane said, The seed of every sin known to man is in my heart. Isn't that true? At any time, we have that evil heart that God can change. Jeremiah knew the same thing. He said in 17.9, The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Matthew 15.19 says this, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. Who am I apart from God? Totally depraved. I'm totally destitute. I'm blinded to the truth. I have that spiritual seed coat over me. I can't see. I don't understand. I'm, I'm veiled to the truth. Ladies, lost is lost. When we have family members that are lost, we shouldn't expect them to have some kind of a standard that, that we didn't have apart from Christ. Alan Redpath said this, The best place any Christian can ever be is to be totally destitute and totally dependent on God and know it. We need to know that we, our dependency comes from God and God alone. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12. Paul knows who he is and where he's going. He says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. 
We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face and prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day some veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has been removed because only um, it has not been removed because only Christ, in Christ is it taken away. Verse 15. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. Liberty freedom. We have freedom in Christ. I have been set Free from that old man, from the old way of thinking. Verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and being transformed. And that's why we're here this weekend. We want to be transformed into his image with ever increasing joy, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. We can have that boldness because we have hope in him. Not like Moses. Moses was worried that the people might see that the glory was fading. But we have turned to Christ. So we know that we have that freedom. Our veil is removed because of the work on the cross. And only because of the work on the cross. Nothing that we do can provide that. Only through his work. And that spirit um, brings us freedom. That's why people think we're crazy. Because we have the joy of the Lord, because we have been set free, and they, they don't understand it. Do you remember before you were a Christian, seeing Christians, and you thought they were nuts? Right? I remember the first time I went into um, a, an evangelical service, and I don't know if you, some, most of you are old enough, but they were raising their hands. I, I didn't know what was going on. I turned to Ted, I go, are we at the Country Bear Jamboree at Disneyland? Like... <laughs> What is going on here? Like, raise their hands. They were dancing. I'm like, I didn't understand. I had no understanding. I didn't grow up like that. So I, I was like, get me out of here. These people are freaks. <laughs> but we're now being transformed. Our faith has substance. And that's what that verse says, that faith gives us substance. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, renew a right spirit within me. John 20, um, 27 through 29 said, Then he said to Thomas, Reach in here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it to my side. And do, um, and do not be unbelieving but believing. And when Thomas put his hand, he said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you believe. But blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. We can't see God. When our kids were little, we had a little boat, and we would take them out to the lake and do some wakeboarding and some inner tubing, but my husband loved to take it to Catalina. Now, I think adrenaline is highly overrated. (laughs) It makes me faint. Like, I just really don't like to have that feeling. I'm like, that's not me. My husband's totally adventuresome, loves to be out on the water, So many times when we would go to Catalina, it's completely foggy. Like, you can't see a thing. But do you know how big a container ship is? And our boat was, like, this tiny. Like, I'm I'm thinking in my head, like, we're going to get run over, for sure. So we would go, and you would go out from the harbor. You would pass the lighthouse, leave the safe harbor. And you would, all I could see was water and gray. I don't see Catalina anywhere. I'm pretty sure there's a boat coming. So I would have to, like, lay down and just sing worship songs. I'm like, I would put the bench out and just be like, the joy of the Lord. You know, I just had to, like, do something because I couldn't, like, I couldn't see. And I didn't like not being able to see. But my husband would kept explaining to me, Brenda, I have a compass. And if I set my compass at 175, like, we're going to hit the island every time. Like, we are going the wrong way. Like, the island is that way. And he's like, I've set my compass. Now, lo and behold, every time we went, all of a sudden, oh, there was the island. And so what did that do to me? That built my faith that I could trust in that compass so that every time we went over, every time I experienced that, then more and more I began to have faith 
in that compass. Our experience with faith is no different. Every time we experience the Lord, those stones of remembrance, when he's been faithful to you, that builds our faith from faith to faith to faith. That when we get older, that's why we love to hear from seasoned saints because they've been walking with the Lord so long. We're like, you have so much faith because you've experienced the Lord and what he can do. And I was able to put my faith. The farmer, when he plants a seed, he doesn't see a crop. Like when we look at that little seed, we don't see a root. But he hopes that it's there. He wants to believe that it's there. The more I experience Jesus in my life, the more I have faith in him. Now, it goes on on the second half of that verse to say the conviction of things not seen. When it says conviction or evidence of things not seen, it means that it's proved or tested. It's proved or tested. Our lives must be uh, proof of the substance of Jesus. We need to have that evidence for people to be able to see. Now, I don't know if you guys um, saw the... Have any of you guys seen the movie, The Big Eyes? So this was a story about Margaret Keene. I think it was Amy Adams that was in it. And I, um, so it was a story about Margaret Keene, who, who was a painter, and her husband started taking... Um, all the accolades and saying that the paintings were his. So he was off doing all the press, and she was, you know, feverishly painting in the basement. And so they went through a legal battle where she came out and said, you know what, these are mine. They're not his. So they have this, like, paint-off, so to speak, in the middle of a courtroom, and his, all of a sudden his shoulder was hurting, and he couldn't possibly paint. And she whipped out a beautiful painting. It was proved. It was tested. You know, the island that I hit, it was proved. It was tested. When we learn God's word and we experience him for ourselves, he's proven. He's tested, and our faith causes us to be able to see him. Now, um, I did not grow up as a Christian. My dad is from Scotland. My mom is from Ireland, so I actually have dual citizenship. I'm the only one in the family that was born in California. So our culture in our home was very European. Um, I drink tea with cream and sugar. Um, I'm pretty sure I had scotch in my sippy cup. <laughs> Almost positive. And if you were teething, it got rubbed on your gums for sure. <laughs> But I didn't grow up in that kind of a home. I didn't, I didn't know anything about Christianity. I had some neighbors that took me to church. Oh, people, take your, take your little neighbor kids to church. It changed my life. Um, but by seventh grade, I think I smoked pot for the first time in seventh grade. I was, by high school, I was snorting cocaine and sleeping with my boyfriend, and we would go away on ski trips for the weekend. That's who I am apart from Christ. And you know the saddest part of all? I thought that was normal. I just thought that's what you do to have a good time, isn't it? I mean, I I look back now and I'm like, how did I stand in a circle at at seventh grade? What are you, 12, 13? You know, smoking dope. Like, how does that even happen? But That's what the enemy wants from us. He wants us to keep away from God. He doesn't want us to have victory. By 20, when I met Ted, um, I got pregnant out of wedlock. I'm like, you want to know me? You're going to get to know me this weekend for sure. Um, But I got pregnant, and we ended up getting married. And, you know, it wasn't until, and maybe many of you have this testimony too, when I became a mom, like that awoke my soul. I was like looking at this little life like how on earth I don't want her to go through the same things that I went through. What what is who is God? I mean college did not do me any favors where God was concerned. Philosophy, sociology, those classes like really had me dispel God out of my life. But I'm looking at life itself, a created being, and I had to ask the question What am I going to do? Am I going to seek him? Jeremiah 29 says, 13, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so I began to seek and look for Jesus. My life verse, Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. All right, well, let's turn to 2 Peter. We're going to look at a couple of verses in 2 Peter 1 through 4. 
of chapter 1. Peter was a servant, and he was writing to servants of like faith. Peter was nearing the end of his life at this point. First Peter was written to encourage Christians under the threat of persecution. But second Peter was written to talk about spiritual maturity through the word of God, that God's word is the remedy for false teaching. Is, do we deal with a lot of false teaching nowadays? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. So let's read um, in first. Oh, did I say first Peter a second? Oh, good. That's actually correct. <laughs> Second Peter verse uh, chapter one verses one through four. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given us to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us great, exceedingly great, and precious promises, that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, it says scripture has given us all things that we need for life and godliness. Everything that we need to walk a successful Christian life is given to us right in the pages of Scripture. Rob Bell, I don't know if many of you know him, he is the author of Velvet Elvis. He's um, a pastor in Michigan. And, um, and he said this, he was, um, he was on Oprah, and this is his quote, The church is on the verge of getting this right and accepting same-sex marriage. We're this close. And he was excited about that. Another quote from him says, This is not just the same old message with new methods. We are rediscovering Christianity. We have false teachers among us. And if we don't know the word of God, there's no way that we are going to be able to discern. I was so glad that you brought that up during the book reviews because we need to be a discerning people. Proverbs 30 Five and six is every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. And then in Revelation twenty two eighteen, he says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add him the plagues which are written in the book. And if anyone takes away. From the words of this book, this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in the books. Those are strong words. We cannot add to this book. We cannot take away from this book. We don't have to make the Bible come alive. The Bible is alive. It's alive, and we get to read it, and it's our daily bread. It's our daily nourishment that we get. And in verse 3, he says that this is, if you want to circle it, the divine power. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit explosive power that he has given us to walk this. Sometimes I think we walk around weak because we're not eating. We're not feeding on his word, and so we're weak, and we're sick, and we don't understand the things of God, and then we don't get victory in our lives. I'm not talking about success. I'm talking about God dwelling in us. He has given us all things that pertain through the true knowledge of God. That true knowledge, it's precise, and it is correct, meaning that we must study his word accurately. And I know that your churches beat on this drum day in and day out. We must study this word accurately. And he's given us exceeding and precious promises. One commentary said there's over 30,000 promises in Scripture. Have you ever had someone break a promise to you? It's a big deal, isn't it? Because, like, after all, you're like, they promised. Like, you promised. It's a declaration of something. Jesus is our promise. He will return for his church. He said he would, and I'm waiting for the day that he does. I can't wait for that day that he calls us home to himself. Jesus is our promise, and faith will become fact. Now, one of the films that my son auditioned for 
Um, he auditioned with my daughter. He was like seven at the time. She was nine. It was a little part in the Green Mile. And when they went to do makeup, he had to look like a dog mauled his eye. And so they had to take him into makeup. Well, what they did was they put, um, they had to make a mold of his head. Um, and so he thought it was great. I was like, I couldn't breathe. I'm like, they put two straws in his nose and they, they put um, stuff in his ears so it wouldn't get in his ears. And they literally like piled plaster on his head to about back here. Like, yeah, they, they pile. As a matter of fact, I brought it. You get to see my son at age seven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look how far back that went. And he was just having the greatest time. I'll let you see it over here. But here's the thing. This mold is created in his image. This mold, it looks exactly like him. Like every crack, every nook, every cranny looks just like him. I brought you the finished product of what they did. I'll show you. <laughs> I think I'll show you. Oh, there he is. So that's not his eye. His eye is actually taped down underneath that, um, that. That's a fake eye. He has a, it's a prosthetic. It's about this big that they painted on him. It was so good. When you're a child actor, you have what's called a stand-in or a photo double because you have to go to school. You, have to, you can only work so many hours depending on your ages. So they have another little boy that looks just like him to do like lighting and, and that kind of stuff. And his mom was standing next to me, and she goes, that's amazing. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, yeah, probably some of the best makeup artists in Hollywood. She goes, and I didn't say that. She goes, that's amazing that they got a kid that was like mauled like that <laughs> to play this part. And I just kind of went, like, do I tell her? Do I just let this roll? <laughs> like, I come and have some fun with this. But poor kid, he was running around bumping into things all day long because his depth perception was so far off. But we are to be image bearers of God. And I think a lot of times when we think of an image bearer, I know for me, when I think of God, well, he is perfect. So then that puts a lot of pressure on me because then I think, oh, I need to be perfect. If I'm going to be an image bearer to you, then I need to look just like him. And I strive to be perfect, but we forget something. We forget that we're supposed to be image bearers in our suffering. We're supposed to be image bearers in our pain, in our trials. It's not about being perfect, ladies. It's about showing Christ through whatever we're going through. That doesn't, it doesn't matter what we're going through. We're just supposed to have Christ in us. And a lot of times we try to get out of our trials until, instead of trying to bring Christ into our trials and our tribulations. The same power that formed the universe, the same power that suspends the earth and formed the stars and put them into the sky, that same power is the power that God gives me to be able to act like him. He gives me that same power to have a successful Christian life. Why? Because it's not me. It's based on his power. What on earth am I doing then reading self-help books? When I've got 66 volumes of a book right here, this is all the self-help you're ever going to need. This is all we need. If you read this, it will transform you. It's the only thing on this earth that has the power to change you. I know firsthand because I was the one that was doing, acting the way that non-Christians act and doing the things that non-Christians do and thinking they're normal until this came into my life, until this transformed me. It's the only thing that will transform us. Um, Jesus told the disciples, that, oh, ye of little faith, when they were caught in the wind and the waves, remember? And a dad came with a demon-possessed son, and he asked the disciples to heal him. And do you remember the, the disciples couldn't heal him? And he said to Jesus, please heal him if you could. And in Mark's Gospel, chapter 923, Jesus says this, what do you mean if I can? What do you mean if I can? Jesus says anything is possible for those who believe. Anything is possible. Jesus is saying to him, don't you know who I am? I mean, sometimes I think we know who we are, we know where we're going, but we don't know who Jesus is and the power that he has. And he's, the father cried out and he says, I do believe, 
but will you help my unbelief? Can you identify with that? Can you identify with, I have a lack of faith, Lord. I need you to help me to have faith in you. Without faith, we can't please God, but with faith, the Bible says we can move mountains. Faith is the thing that shields us against the attacks of the enemy. Faith is what triggers healing. Faith extinguishes fear. Well, I had some fear. Last June, uh, we went on a missions trip to uh, Belgium and Ireland, and we were in the London airport. Now, it was July 3rd, so you can imagine we went to check-in. I kid you not when I say on every single TV screen in the airport was a report of that there was a credible threat from al-Qaeda on a plane that was leaving Europe, London in specifics, and flying into the U.S. I, I'm, every, every, it was breaking news. Every TV had it on. And I started to panic. I was like, what am I going to do? So you know what I did. I went to all the screens like, is there any other flights going out? No, just ours. It was the only flight going out that day from London into the United States. And I, 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 I had a lack of faith because I had a panic attack for about two hours trying to go, what am I going to do? Ted's like, do you, do you want to not fly? Do you want to fly another day? Well, no, I don't want to do that because then what if that plane crashes and then the one that we were supposed to be on was fine? <laughs> you know how you do? It's like rationalizing it all in your head. And it's like, I can't, I can't mess with it. You know, this is what it is. And I remember getting on the plane that day, and I just said, you know what, Lord? I'm either going to see my kids, or I'm coming to see you, but either way, I'm going home, (laughs) you know? I'm going home, either way. Okay, I want you to do something for me. Faith is required to see God. I want you guys just to blindfold yourselves. Now, if I had to give you directions to get out of this room, now that you can't see me, you'd be listening quite Clearly, wouldn't you? We listen so much more. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Keep your eyes closed. It's active, not passive. You can't use your eyes to see faith. You can't use it. That's what faith is. We can't can't see Jesus. And by listening, though, we will see God if we listen. If you would say to me, have you ever prayed, Lord, increase my faith? I would say, increase your listening. Increase your listening. Right now, if you don't listen to me, if I'm going to give you directions to get out, you, don't, you can't see, so you have to listen. But if you don't listen to me, then you just sit there hopelessly blind. We need to listen to God for our direction. We can't see our direction. We have to listen. Okay, you can unfold. You can unblindfold yourself. We can't, we can't see it, faith, but faith causes us to be able to see. Elizabeth Elliot said this, Faith does not eliminate questions, but faith knows where to take them. We know where to take our questions. God may want to heal you. God may want to ordain suffering for you. He might want to stretch you. God may want you to be bold in your gifts. Sometimes, ladies, you just have to do it scared. That's We have a motto at our church because we're always scared to use the gifts that God's given us. I was just reading in the parable of the talents this morning. God's the one that delivered his goods. It's only our job to let him, to let him do those things for us. He may want to give you rest this weekend. He may want you to comfort somebody. He may want you to confront someone. He may want to save you. He may want to use you. He may want to break you. He may want to lift you up. He may want to prune you. He may want you to speak out. He may want you to remain silent. We have to listen to hear what it is. And I want you guys to hear this question. You'll be answering it later. The difference between, the difference between where God wants you to be. No. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is sometimes the painful process you refuse to endure. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is the painful process that you are willing are not willing to endure. Now, the first five years, we're just going to get real again. First five years of my marriage was rough. I had was pregnant when I got married. We were 23. We were 21 when we had when we got married and had that baby. I was actually 20. Ted was 21. 
So in the first five years was rough. At 23, we had moved out to Reno Valley. We had no family there. I had two little babies, a two-year-old and a two-month-old, and I had the pleasure of having the same surgery when my baby was five weeks that my daughter's about to have this week. So I had a new house. My husband started a new job. I had 15 staples down my abdomen, and I'm trying to put, like, shelf paper in. It's like my staples are scraping. Like, I don't remember that Christmas. Like, honestly, I don't remember. It's gone from my memory. But the first five years were very rough. Ted was um, working as a paramedic firefighter at the time. I was working in the hospital at the ER at Riverside Community. He was working three nights. I was working three nights. We were together like one night. And, you know, I just got to the place where I thought, I could probably do this without him. I started to believe the lie of the enemy, like, I don't need him. Why do I need him? And he was equally as frustrated And there was, you know, Satan tries to tempt you like, you know what, your sin's going to be fun. And the Bible tells us it's fun for a season, and then its end is death. And I really thought that I was going to be having some fun. And there was one particular night where Ted had his suitcase on the bed. And it was, I mean, it was almost game over for us. And we almost believed that this was going to make us happy. You know, Satan tried to tell us where to go. He tried to tell us who we were. But fortunately, and I don't know what switched our gears, but we were able then to come together and work hard for the next several years. We got into fellowship. We were able to move. We were able to work hard and read God's word and let it start to transform our lives. And the Lord began to trigger our faith. Faith triggers healing, and that healing was done in our marriage. We were able to be healed in our marriage, and we were able to become not just stable, but blessed. We've been married for 30 years. We have almost eight grandchildren. My husband became a pastor. I had no idea that that's what God had in our future. I had no idea that this is what he would call me to do. I dropped out of college because I was going to have to take a public speaking class. No, that I'm not even joking. The f- I know, right? Maybe I should have taken it. It would have been helpful. But no, I, I, I panicked. I didn't, not even, didn't even enroll in the class and try to be sick the day. We were supposed to get, like, I wouldn't even go near it. I'm like, I'm done with college. I'm not taking that class. Because why? Because I was scared to be able to do something that God wanted me to do. But sometimes we just have to be obedient. I had no idea. And I have an amazing husband now because of what the Lord does. It was a painful process. It was a painful process. But going through it strengthened us. Have you guys ever heard of the biosphere? The biosphere is in Arizona. And they did this mock-like, um, like uh, I don't know what that's called, but... It was a mock garden, whatever. They wanted to see if they could produce the elements for things to be able to grow. Well, a couple years in, what they noticed is all the trees started breaking. And they were like, why are the trees breaking? Anybody have a guess? No wind. Wind, that constant turning of the wind, was what was the thing that was strengthening the bark in a tree. It's no different in our life, girls. Like, when we go through trials, and you guys know this, when things are humming along, like, things are good. But when you have trials, God uses it to strengthen us, doesn't he? When we go through hardship, he uses it to strengthen us. And he uses it to um, keep us persevering and going forward. What is it? What's the painful process that God might want you to endure? Is it faith? To stay in a marriage that maybe you'd rather leave? Is it faith that might sustain you through an illness? Is it faith that wants you to maybe cut your budget because you're living beyond your means? I mean, let's just get practical. This is life, right? Is it faith that wants you to walk away from something? Is it faith maybe that you need to trigger to walk towards something? Is it faith that you need to take a risk And something that you fear? Is it faith that causes you to be still? When the Bible says be still, literally means put your hands down. Isn't that a good one? Just put your hands down at your side. Giving up sin that you love by faith. Maybe it's ending a relationship 
by faith, forgiving the unforgivable by faith. Spurgeon said this, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven. A great faith will bring heaven to your soul. And that's what we want, heaven here on earth. It could not have been easy to trust God when Mary was told that she was going to be carrying the Son of God. It could not have been easy to trust God when the disciples were in that boat when it was storming. It could not have been easy when Joshua was told to part the Jordan River. It could not have been easy when Sarah was told she was going to have a baby. Our children's ministry director this year, 40 years old, she's, her husband had a vasectomy for eight years. They've been married 20 years. She came into a staff meeting. We thought she was going to say she was going on a cruise for her anniversary. She was 11 weeks pregnant. I had a panic attack for her. Seriously, can you, can you imagine? Like, that would be like me having, like, my grandkids, like, Ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) I could not even imagine, like, it panicked. And then I had a friend this year. Her sister's 49. Like, they've been married 25 years. Their kids are, like, my kid's age. And she got pregnant. Right? Scary stuff. She's 49. Do we? (laughs) Well, God bless you if you're older and you're having a baby. I mean, it's a blessing (laughs) for you. God be with you. (laughs) But I do not want a two-year-old right now. That's all I'm saying. I want to end our time. um, And I'll just read it to you. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, it says, Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. That word examine means to test. And it really means to face. We need to face some reality, don't we? I don't know about you, but I don't want to pretend to do church. For me, if we're going to pretend, let's just go home or go get our nails done or something. I want a God that's going to change my life. I want a God that's going to work in me. I want a God that's going to work in you. I want you to face what it is that God is calling you to face. I want, we need to face up. To reality, we need to be able to sit before God and not point at everybody else, but go, God, search me. Know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. I want to be able to face that. And that would be my prayer for you today, that you can just ask God, help me to face what you want me to see. Help me to be able to look into that mirror intently. That means to bend down, look intently into the mirror. The mirror is the word of God and see what God might say to us. And I have a few questions for you to answer as you're going about your day. Number one is where am I and where does God want me to be? Where am I? And where does God want me to be? The Holy Spirit, I I pray and I trust, will answer that question for you today. And then the second is, what is the painful process I refuse to endure? And then ask God to genuinely search your heart and genuinely speak to you this weekend about the things of God. I'll close with Colossians 2 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Now, you guys each have gotten a card like this one. Did you guys all get this card? How many of you left it in your room? Yeah, you're my peeps. <laughs> I had to borrow this one, so you're off the hook. Um, You're going to be able, I'm going to give you the instructions for this card. What we would like you to do is to spend a few moments, I think you have an hour before lunch, to spend some quiet time with God. Many of us, all of us, are busy in our seasons of life. How many of you have kids under 10? Yeah, you're just busy. You're, oh... It makes me tired just thinking about what you guys do. Like, I don't know how people get to church when they have little kids. I take my grandkids. I'm like running in there like, oh, I'm late. <laughs> how did, I did it when they were younger, but ooh, it's hard. Um, and we want you to spend a few moments. Please do not 
Talk to your friends. I can't encourage this enough. You've spent the money. You set aside the time. You need to get with the Lord alone. If it's only for an hour, don't talk. You're going to go back to your rooms, pick up your card. Um, You're going to be able to sit and to write on this card. And these are some of the things that you might be able to write on your paper. Pray. Ask God to show you what to write. Maybe you might write somebody that you love. Maybe it's time is overdue for you to tell somebody how much you love them. Maybe it's an evangelistic letter, someone that you've been meaning to write the gospel to, and you want to be able to sit down and share that. Maybe it's somebody that you haven't forgiven, and you know you're like, oh, I knew God was going to do that this weekend. Um, and we're going to make sure Debbie writes her, I mean, Denise writes her card. (laughs) But take that time to write the card. Maybe you're going to write to God himself. And that might be you sharing your heart with God. Maybe you're still doubting. Maybe you still have struggles and you just have things, you have questions. Don't we just have questions for God sometimes? But I personally, and I asked Denise about this a, a week ago, what I did a few years ago is we wrote a letter from God to us. You know, I don't keep very many letters. It's the one letter I still have to this day, and I have it in my nightstand. And at first I thought it was a little silly, like God's going to write to me. And then as I sat and prayed and I got quiet enough and listened in my ears, what you do is you just whatever he says to you, you write down. You are going to be amazed at what he speaks to your heart. And the things he said, there wasn't one condemnation in my letter there was just all about how much he loved me and that he died for me I mean just the things that he said was beautiful he has a plan for me just so many beautiful things so I'm going to pray for you but we want you just to be quiet to go to your rooms and will you promise me because it's a promise you promised (laughs) Um, promise that you'll spend you'll take this hour out of this weekend I I Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, I just want to lift up these precious sisters to you. And I just want to ask that you would speak to each one. You have a perfect letter that you want them to write, Lord, from your very throne room. Give them the words to say. Give them the the heart of you in when they're writing it. And Lord, if you want them to write one from you, Lord. I just pray that we would have ears. Right now, I know you're just directing um, exactly what they're supposed to do and what, who they're supposed to write to. So I pray, Lord, it would be a fruitful time in you, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I like her double now. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brenda.